Welcome and thanks for listening to another episode of Zero Cafe. In this episode, I talk with Luke Carthy and he will teach us how to use an SEO crawler to find on-site conversion bottlenecks. And you'll find out why tea and biscuits are a golden combination. My name is Gilles Janssen and welcome to Zero Cafe, the podcast where I show you the behind the scenes of optimization teams and talk with their specialists about data and human-driven optimization and implementing a culture of experimentation and validation. In case you missed it, in the previous English episode I spoke with Morgan Lag, Director of Operations and Certified Partner Outreach at Convert.com. We spoke about the fascinating decentralized management model called Holacracy, and we end our talk talking about how Holacracy also led to Convert applying something that's called Conscious Business by, for example, eliminating bias in hiring and becoming carbon positive. You can also listen to this episode, which is season 2, episode 22, on the Zero Cafe website or in the podcast app you are listening with right now. This episode of Zero Cafe is made possible by our partners Online Dialogue, SiteSpect, Online Influence Institute, Content Square and Convert.com. Welcome to season 2, episode 25. So Luke, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, welcome to the show. And uh, yeah, first question, of course, what makes those biscuits so special? I think the the, <laughs> the easy question to ask is, what is it that doesn't make biscuits special? <laughs> um, they're amazing, right? They're delicious. They're, they're just they go with tea. Like, yeah, they're incredible. Um, just I'm obsessed with them. They're a bit of a problem. They help me put on weight, especially right now. I don't think I've ever spent as much money as I have during quarantine. Um, on biscuits. On, on biscuits. They're unreal. <laughs> um, but yeah, the biscuits... In the UK versus the US is always a big argument, but uh, I'm talking about British biscuits rather than actual American biscuits. Of course. Um, so, since, yeah. since we're talking about UK biscuits, uh, what kind of tea goes best uh, with your biscuits? Does it depend on the biscuit? Is, is it? Is it always? I'm not that much of a connoisseur. I'll be real with you. Uh, so, so any English kind breakfast. of English breakfast or black tea is, is incredible, to be honest. But uh, purple tea and biscuits is never really a good shot. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> it's good to know. Well, when we meet in real life, that's uh, I know how to prepare. That's good to know. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> so, uh, on to a more uh, zero uh, related topic. What what is your background, and and how do you uh, how are you involved with zero uh, in the in the broader sense of the term? Yeah, so I think many people in the the CRO industry or, or in digital marketing kind of fall upon it. I don't think there's many people who kind of you know set from the outside going to college and school and saying I want to do CRO. Right? It's not no. really a one of those things. So for me, it kind of started on on eBay, um, where I, I first set up my first eBay business uh, during school. So I was about 16 and set up my first listing. And it was quite successful, but there's a lot of competition. Yeah. And I just did things using Terapeak, which is uh, like eBay's uh, Ahrefs, if you like, or eBay's SEMrush, um, which helps you to identify keywords, opportunities, um, how you should write your copy, images, that sort of thing to really help improve impressions and sales. And that CRO bug was kind of instilled in me from that point, that constant experimentation, testing, um, free delivery in a higher price versus a lower price and, and, and separate delivery costs or, um, you know, listings that have a pack of one versus a pack of three and that sort of thing. So it really kind of started there. Um, and then it moved on into, along with me as part of my SEO career, really. So, I love it. I love the idea of, you know, finding ways to, to remove bottlenecks or make a process easier. Um, 
and it's yeah, it's just stuck with me ever since. But that's where it really started. And uh, so, so you you do a combination, right, of, of SEO and and zero. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, and that's that's uh, that's good to hear, at least. <laughs> of yeah, course, from it's, a zero it's person, an interesting but... mix. It's an interesting mix. I think the the challenge is right, and I'm sure many people um, listening can relate, whether you're in house agency or a bit of both. Right, is um, bringing traffic is great, and and being able to 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 grow organic performance is brilliant but you know the other side of it that really helps a business is been able to convert as much of that as possible yeah. um and i think both of those are hugely complementary to the point where normally when i when i onboard a new client or i'm working on a new project it's normally cro i start with before we look at growing traffic because there's nothing worse than increasing traffic and then having a real big problem or inefficiency that's costing you sales it's it's much better yeah. to have everything Yeah, it's a bit cliche, but they, they go hand in hand, right? You cannot do one yeah. without the other. I, mean, I was working for a company uh, two, three years ago, and they spent like 12 million in AdWords, but they had no idea. And it was mainly lead generation, the website, and they had no idea how much ROI revenue they got from that. It's 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 mind-blowing how some companies uh, just fully focus on one half of the equation and then f- yeah. forget the other. Absolutely. And uh, so, so what are, you, you specialized in, in specifically in e-commerce, right? So uh, a tra- a transactional uh, website. So what does that make you tick <laughs> uh, on, on the e-commerce side? Yeah, I think it's 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 a bit of a double-edged sword because on one side, there's nowhere to hide, you know? Yeah. Um, e-commerce is, is fundamentally how many sales and, and average order value and products and everything else. But on the opposite side, um, It's very immediate, if you like, and instant to see where you're making a difference. So rather than kind of like lead gen sites, insurance and that sort of thing, or, or B2B inquiries, there's a whole funnel. There's leads to nurturing to, you know, a pipeline. But with e-commerce, um, even in a B2B environment, people are, are placing orders and immediately exchanging money. So yeah. um, it's great to see that journey. And it doesn't matter how long I've been in e-commerce, um, the, the feeling never gets old of, of working on something and seeing your first sale or working on something and seeing, Um, improved growth in, in sales or performance. So that is infectious. I love it and I'm absolutely obsessed with it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it goes all the way back to eBay. It's where I started and it's what I absolutely adore doing. Yeah, it makes it a bit more fun, right? If, if you can directly tie your actions to the results. I mean, if, if you work on a lead gen website, it's, it's usually a couple of steps further where the real revenue uh, sits. And it's more yeah, fun if you yeah. can directly uh, look at the orders or... Exactly, exactly. So uh, today what we're talking about is is how to find zero gold using a, a SEO crawler. And you did a session on that uh, last week uh, at the Digital Elite Live, right? Yeah, I did. It was a lot of fun. Although there was, it was really weird because you don't actually see anybody partaking in your yeah. event, right? So you just have to hope people are, exactly, yeah. are enjoying what you're talking about. But the feedback after the event was great. There was a bunch of questions. Um But yeah, uh, it was it was my first properly digital conference, I think, and uh, it was interesting. So, so what is it about? How how do we find zero gold using an uh, SEO crawler? Yeah, so um, I guess to to give you the top level as to how this topic even came about, um, I think I wanted a topic that would make people think, "What? Like, really? How?" <laughs> and kind of really instill that I need to find out what the answer to this is. And that that apparently worked. You know, it was the reason why I ended up getting. Um, getting through to, to MozCon. It was a brilliant idea. So the way, the way how it works is, you know, CRO is not all about A-B tests. It's not necessarily about um, variances and controls and all that sort of stuff. I mean, sometimes CRO is just things that needs to be done. You know, you find a problem, you address it, you fix it. 
Um, so to give you a perfect example, one of the things I talk about is crawling site search. So as we know, statistically, a really cool reference um, and post that CXL made is that a third of all e-commerce users on average will use uh, site search. So it's a, it's a, it's a fundamental part of, of a user journey yeah. and conversion. So one thing I speak about is crawling your top 10%, whether that's 10,000 or 100 queries or even all of them if you want to, to find out which particular search queries return no results or poor results. Mm-hmm. Um, so a perfect example here, there's a, there's a retailer here in the UK called Holland & Barrett, and they're a healthcare, um, healthcare brand. But if you go to their site, or at least you did when I, when I um, updated this presentation, and you search for Holland & Barrett, uh, sorry, search coronavirus on Holland and Barrett, there's no results found, yeah. um, which I find is massively ironic considering it's a healthcare provider, right? They sell hand sanitizer, they sell paracetamol and, and all that sort of stuff that helps with alleviate the symptoms or reduce the spreading of it. Yeah. Um, and that's a perfect poignant example of how important it is to make sure your site search is satisfying customer demands as, as well as possible. Um, another example there, I looked at Best Buy and identified that one of their top searches, according to uh, Ahrefs, was online account. Um, so people clearly couldn't find where to find an online account or how to log in, so they searched for that. But on doing that, there was poor results and no results found. So, you know, clearly there's an experience opportunity there where someone searching for online account should maybe be redirected to a login page or, you know, maybe a message pops up to say, hey, are you looking to log in to find your orders, whatever that is. And it's just finding things like that, whether they're immediate commerce queries, immediate um, I want to buy queries, or just kind of informational uh, search queries that you can use to help improve experience. And that's something that can be done fairly quickly at scale using a, a, an SEO caller as one of them. Marketing budgets have suffered and the share for A-B testing has been impacted too. If you want to keep testing to enterprise standards, but save 80% on your annual contract, you can consider convert.com. With their summer release, you can take advantage of full-stack and hybrid features, strong privacy compliance, no blink, and enterprise-grade security. Feel good about your smart business decision. Invest what you save back in your zero program. Check out www.convert.com slash 2020. So how, how does the SEO crawler fit into their process? I mean, uh, just uh, manually searching for a brand name plus Corona uh, doesn't sound scalable. Yeah, so the one of the ways in which it could work in a, in a real-world situation is to use Google Analytics in this case. Mm-hmm. So you find your top, let's say, 10,000 or 5,000 search queries. Um, but every site search will normally have some kind of URL pattern. So example.com slash search slash search query. Yeah. So you just create a file where you have that static um, part of the URL, forward slash the keyword, and throw those 10, 20,000 URLs into um, Search Screaming Frog and do it by list mode. Um, then what you can use is something called, as we've said, custom extraction, where you uh, tag something that's on the page that you want to extract. So it could be the number of results found. It could be a message that pops up to say no results found when you have no results. And what will happen is you'll get a running list and this is so difficult to explain without visuals, right? But you'll get a running list of the crawl alongside the data you want to extract. So to use a very poignant example, you could have example.com slash search slash um, coronavirus. And you may have that as like your top 10 
search. Yep. In that same row, you would have, say, no results found in column A. And then for column B, you might have something else, and so column C and so on. So that way at scale, you can very quickly identify what particular search queries are returning what results and what items and at what prices and that sort of thing. Um, so it's really quite scalable quite quickly. And um, you've, you've already done this. What are the most uh, yeah, memorable findings uh, so far? Okay, yes. Um, <laughs> I wish I could give you specifics, but I'm pretty sure I'd get shot. <laughs> by one of my clients. Sure, but uh, but more more in general, the the, the types of uh, uh... there is one absolute goldmine one which I was amazed that they couldn't find before I got involved in it. So um, there's a manufacturer or there's a there's a B two B e commerce um, client that I have, um, and they sell one of their most popular brands is something they sell. Now, if you search for that most popular brand, you had really bad results, like really irrelevant results and the problem was the name of the brand was quite a generic name um and i'm trying my hardest not to say but they're like it was a super generic name so by searching for that brand you got super generic results yeah um and we're talking in the tens of thousands of searches a month it was a huge volume uh -huh. keyword so by identifying that this was a problem we overnight fixed um the relevance and the importance of that particular keyword to really improve the performance of that search results And almost within sort of 72 hours, we saw an improvement in conversion. We saw a sale through of products that hadn't sold for years, that the business just assumed there wasn't demand for, but actually there was. It was just customers couldn't find them online. Um, and then it kind of got buy-in, if you like, to go and invest and spend more money and resources on CRO um, and on that, that customer experience journey. But it was through finding that real quick, low-hanging fruit. And it took me maybe like an hour. Like we're not talking a huge project here that took months. An hour of research um, that really helped to, to get buy-in and to fix one of their, their core search problems. Yeah. So what kind of uh, issues do you usually encounter? Is, is it um, issues in the customer journey that like big differences between uh, maybe the expectations that are um, uh, created during uh, the search phase and then totally not met uh, on the websites? Or is it more like it just said, like more, more uh, product-wise, uh, the, the, the actual services or products that the, the company um, uh, offers? Yeah, it could absolutely be both. It could absolutely be both. But I think more it's, it's towards the latter. So um, to give you, I guess, a, another, another example. So a lot of companies will have conversations of, why is, my, uh, why is this particular product or category you know, dropping in rankings? Or yeah. inversely, why is this particular category or set of products now all of a sudden really popular? The WOD might do a, a, a customer extraction across every product on their site, if I can, depending on how big their site is, and extract things like price information, stock status, product description, product title, and then compare it to um, SEO metrics like um, average number of keywords it ranks for and how much organic traffic it's getting. And as a result of that, I can start to see if there's a pattern. So normally you can find that if things have dropped, it's because they've been out of stock. Or if things have increased um, organically because they're in stock or the price has changed. So you can start to satisfy those questions because a lot of people will assume, especially in my experience working in-house in the past before I went um, into consultancy, is, you know, why are we getting less traffic here? Or why are we selling less of this online? Yeah. But no one ever seems to think and look at the... Um, the core fundamentals first, which actually we don't have that much stock, or 
we have no stock at all, or even the price has increased by by 25%, while other people have it in on promotion right now. And just the small mechanics of things like that and the whole kind of, you know, argument of incremental growth um, really comes into play here. And, and, and even though businesses have all the tools to go and find this information themselves, they know their product pricing, they know their descriptions, normally they're siloed into different teams. Mm-hmm. So be able to do custom extraction, bring that all together and bring the evidence can really help to um, merge and solidify those, those findings. And do you usually use the, the SEO crawler? Uh, is, is that where you start and then figure out where the optimization lies? Or do you? is it usually that uh, maybe you see something weird in Google Analytics and then use your SEO crawler to more, more or less find the, the answers or potential answers uh, for the weird things that you see elsewhere? Yeah, so it, it certainly normally starts in GA. Um, yeah. You know, that that's normally kind of like a good starting point. But equally, sometimes, even if I don't find anything in GA, that's particularly, um, you know, cause for concern or, or even a real good positive that I want to try and bottle up and, and, and echo elsewhere. Yeah. Um, sometimes it's really good to just run some custom extraction anyway to see if you can find any patterns. So one um, real-world situation is there was a client of mine that wanted to invest in in product descriptions, which comes up quite a lot in the world of e-commerce. Do we go away and spend um, money, time, resource on rewriting a bunch of product descriptions to see if we can improve sales? So what normally would happen is I'd go away and, again, crawl a whole category or a number of categories and extract their product descriptions to see if I can find a relationship between the length and quality of a product description versus sales performance. Um, So we can try and get an idea whether it's actually going to be a worthwhile investment to spend time, money, and resource on rewriting um, product descriptions for 15,000 products um, or not. And normally the answer horribly is kind of it depends. Um, Depends on what you sell. Depends on, um, you know, whether you sell um, manufactured products and from brands or whether you're responsible for selling your own branded products, for example. Um, but it certainly helps to either shape or bring a counter argument to a, to a proposal that's been brought forward. Yeah. It feels to me like it's a, it's a, it's a similar, um, way of working as you, as, as I do personally with, with doing user research. Uh, you, you often see some weird things in Google Analytics and then uh, use user research to uh, drill down on the issue and find out where the real uh, uh, problems with the users lies. Yeah. Um, and sometimes also it goes the other way around, right? So you do a user study and you, then you find out, hey, that's weird. <laughs> let's let's uh, look in Google Analytics if we can um, uh, find some data there that also shows this weird behavior or might explain this weird behavior. Yeah. So yeah. it's yeah, it's a combination of tools usually that uh, that's that's um, yeah that that gets gets you closer to the, to an answer yeah absolutely so what kind of tools do you use i mean we we, we said an seo crawler in general are, are there any specific tools that you'd like to use here yeah so screaming frog i think i've, I've mentioned a few times is a, a really good go-to and it's, it's it's dirt cheap like to use um but i'm also a big fan of of sightbulb um i think it helps just to add some more context around the data so screaming frog is great if you want to just drill into the specifics you know the raw data but sometimes it can help you out um, especially if you're working towards uh, a relatively tight schedule or, you know, people aren't asking for a full comprehensive audit, then it can help you just to find um, issues that Screaming Frog don't ne- won't necessarily identify. Um, but, uh, you know, in, in, in the CRO space, then I think Hotjar and heat maps and, and any other kind of heat mapping tool is always a brilliant one. But 
heat maps, I feel are only as good as the data that you can add to them. So, you know, maybe when heat maps first introduced in the early 2000s, right? Crazy Egg hit the scene and everyone was going absolutely insane for this sort of stuff. And it can help paint a picture to see, you know, what things are clicked on. And, you know, we know the story. <laughs> yeah. But where it really gets powerful is if you can leverage that with data in Google Analytics with things like custom dimensions. So I'll give you an example. Um, logged in versus logged out heat maps and seeing if there's a different user journey that people will take on average, you know, across the whole set of users between a logged in experience versus a logged out experience. Um, or even like a new customer versus a repeat customer. Yeah. Um, or even been able to drill down to someone who uh, has been lurking around for a, a good number of times but hasn't purchased versus someone who is someone who's constantly purchasing every time they come to your site. Because you want to understand the challenges of people who don't buy separately to the challenges or the or the, the winning combinations of things that are happening on the site of customers that do buy. You know, just looking at heat maps collectively and saying we get 82% of clicks on this page here is, is not, you know, not necessarily going to be helpful. So to segment and really chop down um, that, that heat map insight can be really quite powerful. Yeah. Um, I think other tools, you mentioned user surveys, you know, um, Google surveys for all its faults is a great thing to try and, and use. It's, it's relatively low cost. You know, there's been situations where I've worked in jobs before, tried to get, say, Hotjar um, in the budget, and the answer's just been no, well, not yet. And I've just literally put like five pounds of my own personal money just to go and run a survey to almost build the case for why we need Hotjar in the first instance, right? So um, I really like that uh, personally. And then I've had although not recently, but experience with tools like Monotate, which I've really enjoyed and, and the personalization front and that sort of thing. But they're kind of big scale, um, you know, enterprise-esque level tools. But I, I personally really enjoy the small, cheap and cheerful tools. I, I just feel to do CRO, you don't necessarily need enterprise level SaaS, right? You don't necessarily need big budgets. And I think that's really important um, to, to make clear. Yes, usually, uh, unfortunately, there's there's no one silver bullet tool out there. <laughs> it's usually a combination of tools that you need to get the insight uh, that you need. Right? Yeah. yeah. For over 10 years now, Online Dialogue advises about evidence-based conversion optimization with a focus on data and psychology. We see that analyzing data and recognizing customer behavior results in a better online dialogue with your clients and a higher ROI. The team of strategists, analysts, psychologists, and UX specialists gathers valuable insights in the online behavior of your visitors, and together with you, they optimize the different elements of your CRO program through redesign, expert reviews, A-B tests, and behavioral analysis. For more information about their services, go to onlinedialogue.com. Thanks so much for, for sharing this uh, with us, and, and um, uh, I think for the people that are interested, uh, we can place a link to the... Um, um, uh, to the recording and um, and uh, and the slides uh, from the event, if people want to uh, go over over them. Sure. The final thing I wanted to talk to you about: you, you also started a webinar series, right? Yes. Let's talk shop. Yes. Yeah. So, what are you doing there? Okay. So, this was a project that was born out of lockdown, um, and I think <laughs> uh, early on, so you you were bored, basically. Yeah. Yeah. I was bored very early on in the lockdown. You know, I'm I'm the bored, and you wanted more human content. Yeah, literally, that's that's precisely what it is. And, I, and I'm always quite a, um, I can't relax very well, right? So I always need something to keep me busy. Yeah. And in the beginnings of the pandemic and lockdown, um, I found it really difficult to switch off and try and imagine that things are going to wind down a little bit. So I thought, right, 
new project. Um, but the, the, the whole point of this is I'm an extrovert, so it helps me to kind of get some of that out in a webinar series. But also there were so many FAQs and so many people that were reaching out and asking me um, questions, especially during lockdown. E-commerce was kind of screaming up. Knowledge of e-commerce wasn't necessarily at the same level. So I thought, hey, here's an opportunity to try and put some um, insightful, informative stuff around e-commerce out that may or may not help people out. Um, and that that's what it was born from. So there's two episodes out there so far. Yeah. Uh, the first episode was a question that I must get asked at least once a week, like probably more so even now, which is, how do I manage my out-of-stock products? Like, do I turn them off? Do I leave them on? Yeah. Do I do this? Do I do that? Right? All of those questions. Um, so that's the first episode. And then the second one was into uh, a real-world case study of, of Paper Chase, which is um, they migrated to a new website back in 2018, and even two years on, they still haven't recovered um, their organic losses. So it was just a look under the hood of what's happening. Um, so first episode's kind of a blend of CRO and SEO, and then the second episode is more weighted towards the SEO side. And I might switch it up for episode three um, whenever that Whenever that lands. Any, any any topics lined up already? Uh, I've got a bunch in the queue. I'm not too sure which one I'm going to do next. Um, it could be kind of like a uh, an interview with somebody just to pick some questions. Um, but I think what I'm probably going to work on next is is faceted navigation. Um, what specifics about it, I don't know because it's one of those things. Faceted nav, you could talk about it for hours. Um, but yeah, that that's probably one that I may uh, I may jump into next time. I'll definitely link to that in the, in the show notes. Thank you. Um, interesting uh, topics uh, to begin with. Uh, so looking forward to, uh, to more of those. I've just thought of a really poignant example of where uh, it's like a CRO thing, CRO slash bug fix. Yes, throw it in there. Another example I wanted to throw in in the world of CRO, and it's kind of I don't know if it sits more towards CRO or bug fix. It kind of sits smack bang between the two. Um, but error messages. Now, oh, yeah. error messages are typically built by developers, right? That they, they are designed to showcase uh, yeah. an error when something happens. It's very rare, uh, at least in a small to medium-sized business, where you'd have someone dedicated to writing you know, proper informative copy for error messages. So to give you one example, mm-hmm. there's a client that had phone calls maybe three or four times a week um, yeah. calling to say, hey, look, I'm at the checkout. I've got my car details in. I know there's money on this card. I've used it in the supermarket like an hour ago, um, and it's not working. I can't pay on your site. So the usual argument comes in where the, the, the customer service raises a ticket. It goes into the IT team. The IT take a look. They can't replicate it, and it's just this horrible back and forth, right? Um, yeah. Now, with this particular issue, what we identified is let's go away and, and, and crawl the error messages that happen at a checkout for any given event. And what we identified is when you um, enter an invalid card number, the error message that was popping up on the screen was something like error 1107, um, please contact sales on phone number, which means nothing to no one. Error 1007 yeah. is, is like what? Um, so what I did is I Googled that error message, that output code, and it actually meant when I looked at the SagePay API docs, error 1007 or 1107, what it was. Um, meant invalid card number. So we just changed the copy to say, uh, invalid card number, please check your card number and retry. And literally within 24 hours, there was like a £30,000 uplift in sales like on a daily basis. Now, you could argue that that is a bug or that is a 
um, a technical thing that just needed fixing. But in my opinion, I think it sits more in the world of CRO because it's messaging, it's copy, it's experience. Um, and I think the reason why I wanted to bring this particular point up is because sometimes CRO is hidden in the most unusual of places. It doesn't have to be an A-B test. It doesn't have to be um, yeah, no. user testing. It could just be something that's needling the haystack issue um, that you can't quite put a finger on. But when you get it, it can yeah. make a world of difference. Amen. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> well, great addition. No problem. No problem. Um, yeah, Luke, thank you so much for joining. Um, uh, like I said, uh, more information, if you're listening, more information uh, on this topic and uh, in the webinar series uh, Luke has started can be found in the in the show notes. Thanks, Luke. Yeah, thank you very much, man. I appreciate it. Good luck and uh, talk to you soon. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. And this concludes season two, episode 25 of Shiro Cafe with e-commerce growth consultant Luke Carthy. Although we started out as a Dutch podcast, we are putting out more and more English content. And if you want to skip all the Dutch gobbledygook, please go to shiro.cafe slash English to see an overview of our English episodes and to subscribe to get notified about new English episodes. If you're interested in promoting your products or services to the best Shiro specialist in the world, Please take a look at zero.cafe/partner to see how we can collaborate. Next week we'll have another Dutch episode with Ronald Voren talking about the master data-driven business that he created at the Hoogschool Utrecht. And the week after that we'll switch back to English to talk about how you can find the broken areas or most broken areas of your website in my talk with Khalid Saleh, CEO of Invest. Talk to you next week and always be optimizing.